for being the door of the sheepfold for God's people and the door into your kingdom. Thank you for providing us with a protection uh, from spiritual thieves and spiritual robbers and, and keeping us safe. Thank you for being our entry point and our access point for being saved, which is what we need more than anything is to be saved by you and, and saved from destruction and, 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 a, and a future with no hope at all. Thank you for being our entry point and, and, and by simply trusting in you that you have made that entry point into salvation possible for us. Thank you for also being our entry point and gateway into experiencing a joy-filled, abundant, flourishing life that has meaning and purpose and hope in it. And I pray that today, Lord Jesus, I want you to be front and center, not me. I need your, your power and your anointing in this moment to speak your words clearly and carefully and in a way that results in change in myself and in a way that results in change in us as well. So we ask for your help in this moment today. Through Christ we pray. Amen. invite Bruce McDonald to come up and to uh, read today's scripture. The scripture today is from the book of John, uh, chapter 10, beginning in verse 7 down to verse 10. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep will not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Thank you very much, Bruce. We are continuing our current seven-part sermon series uh, that will take us right up until Easter Sunday, and the series is called Jesus, quote, I am, end quote. And the plan is really to look at uh, the seven earth-shattering statements that Jesus declared about himself uh, in the Gospel of John. This is important because, as you probably know and have experienced, you have, there's all kinds of competing ideas, opinions, and views about who Jesus is and what he's done, and there's confusion about his identity and his nature, uh, and you'll find that everywhere. Thank you, Internet. Can I hear an amen about... Actually, not, we're not actually thanking the Internet. It's, it's mostly bad. Uh, therefore, what you and I need, we need to sort of unlock and discover and maybe rediscover and relook at who the real Jesus is and what he's really like according to the Bible. The Bible can be trusted, okay? And that's what we want to look to for who Jesus is. The third I am statement that we're examining today uh, that Jesus told us about in terms of himself is simply this. I am the door of the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. This is interesting because to call yourself a door sounds a little weird. But in a bit, we will begin to see the sheer brilliance for why Jesus calls himself a door and the essential door at that. 
But let's first talk about doors. Secure doors in particular. I want you to think about how many doors do you walk through in a given day? Maybe thus far today. You've got your bedroom door. You've got your bathroom door. Thanks be to God for bathroom doors. <laughs> You've got your front door on your home. You've got your garage door, your car door. I mean, this school's front doors that you came into, and then we got the gym doors over there, which, by the way, the one on the right is extra squeaky. Please do not use that squeaky door during the sermon if you can help. Actually, if you want to disrupt the sermon, that's what you do. That's what you do. I'm so grateful to God that I keep forgetting to bring oil for that door. And so doors, we go through them all the time. What do doors generally do? Well, doors generally give you access to a different place, a different space. They give you very often security and privacy. They keep you safe. And they create some separation from one place to another place, one room uh, to another. And very often, if you think about it, if you enter through a door, that then gives you access to something that you need, maybe gives you access to something that helps you, gives you access to something better and makes your life work. In other words, it's really hard to imagine life without doors. Can you imagine life without doors? Which is no coincidence as to why Jesus uses the word picture, the analogy of a door, to show us and put on display what he's like and what he can do for you and what he can do for me. Here's what you need to know about Jesus and, and what he has in mind when he describes himself as a door in John chapter 10 that Bruce read. A door is a person. A door is a person. In fact, shepherds back in Jesus' time and day, shepherds acted literally as doors. Let me explain. As you may know, the ancient culture in which Jesus lived in 2,000 years ago, that ancient Jewish culture was very much an agrarian, uh, farming-type-based uh, culture and livestock economy. And in and around every village and city in ancient Palestine, you would see on the hillsides and around those towns and villages what are called sheepfolds. Sheepfolds, these square or rectangular sort of fenced-in areas, and these were safe secure places that were walled in with literally uh, rocks or pieces of wood or logs and inside those sheepfolds, what were inside those sheepfolds very often? Were sheep, that's right. They were kept safe within the confines of that sheepfold at nighttime. You see it was at night. What do you think would happen at night? That's when the wolves came out of the woodwork and the, the bears and the lions and you see the sheep were at risk with these dangerous animals, uh, these dangerous animals would prey on the sheep. Why would they prey on the sheep? Because sheep are dumb. They still are. They haven't gotten any smarter. I mean, they are slow and they're filled with meat. It's just like it's a perfect combination to satisfy the appetite of these dangerous animals. And I hope that sheep won't take my statement here personally. They're just not the smartest creatures. And the funny thing is, is God often relates us as his people as sheep. So you've got to wonder how God sort of views us sometimes. But anyhow, I get it. I get it. I get myself. I mean, I can relate. But imagine it's nighttime as we speak. Imagine it's night. The shepherd, there he is. He's leading his sheep at sunset into the safe confines of the sheepfold. It is safe there. Then guess where the shepherd would position himself overnight? 
Where would the shepherd sleep? Overnight. He would sleep in the doorway of the sheepfold. Why? Why would he sleep there? To prevent any wild animals from entering in, to prevent sheep from, being, from leaving and becoming lamb chops to these wild animals. No one wants to become a lamb chop. You don't, I don't, certainly sheep don't. And are you making the connection here? See where I'm going with this? See where Jesus is going with this? Jesus is saying that he is just like that literal door that ancient shepherds were for the sheepfolds. He's that kind of door for us as well, for God's people. And with this in mind, so that's all contract text for you. With this in mind, I want to share with you the, the big idea that we see from John chapter 10, uh, verses 7 through 10. It is this. Jesus is the door of the sheepfold. He's the literal door for us for entry into God's kingdom. Therefore, he is a gateway of protection from thieves, spiritual thieves, a door of separation, number two. He is a gateway of salvation for the sheep. This is a door of invitation. He invites any and all to be saved by him. And number three, he is a gateway of connection, a connection to what is known as the abundant life, a door of restoration. And so this is what we're going to be examining. Uh, this is really amazing teaching here from Jesus, and how beneficial is this? Let's begin with number one. There's an outline in your bulletin. If you want to fill in the blanks, there's pens over there. It's okay to get up and get some of that stuff if you need it. Number one in the outline you find in your bulletin is this. Jesus is the gateway of protection from spiritual thieves and robbers. He's the gateway of protection from spiritual thieves and spiritual robbers. In fact, you might view Jesus as the ultimate security guard, the ultimate security guard that your soul requires. No one stronger than Jesus to watch over you as a Christian. He provides a doorway of separation between you and between those who desire to bring you down. Did you know that there's multiple people, perhaps, multiple entities, persons that want to bring you down spiritually? There really is. And let's examine verses 7 and 8 again uh, from what Bruce read before. It says, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly. So anytime Jesus says truly twice, it means he really means it. Like this is really, really true. doesn't get any truer than this. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. These are the true sheep. And let's run with that analogy again from Jesus. Sometimes... A shepherd not only had to protect uh, his sheep from wolves and bears and lions, but also sometimes he had to protect his sheep from thieves, those who wanted to try to steal the sheep because, you see, back then sheep were money. It was like money on legs. Okay, It wasn't just meat on legs. Uh, it was actually money on legs because those guys could steal the sheep and then sell the sheep or trade it for something else they then needed for self-serving purposes. Now, since Jesus is using this as an illustration to prove his point, who exactly are the, the thieves and the robbers that Jesus re is referring to here? Who are these guys? Well, basically, the thieves were anyone who would attempt or try to lead God's people astray to an alternative, more self-serving spiritual agenda for them or a self-serving spiritual agenda for the sheep themselves. You see, back in that time and age... 
there were all kinds of messianic uh, pretenders. You see, God's people, they read their Bibles, which were, were the, was the Old Testament at the time. And they would read the Old Testament, and they saw these Old Testament prophecies that God was going to, at some point, send a Savior, send a Messiah, to come and save God's people and rescue them. And so very often, these guys would read the Old Testament, and then they would come along and say, here's a way I can take advantage of God's people. I am the Messiah. I am the one you've been waiting for who will save you from these nasty Romans. Sure enough, some people, not everyone, some people would actually follow that messianic pretender. They would follow this cult leader, and they would drink the Kool-Aid. And any time you drink Kool-Aid from a cult leader, things always go bad. They would do this. Furthermore, happens today, by the way, when Jesus refers to uh, spiritual thieves and robbers, he likely has in mind the religious leaders in his day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, and these were the, the religious Bible experts, all right? They were all about getting the attention, showcasing themselves, look how much I know about the Bible, and, and they were all about self-righteousness and pride and spiritual pride. They enjoyed being seen as the ones who knew it all about the Bible. Look how well I know my Bible. And sadly, in some cases, these guys who were the recipients of the tithes and the offerings from God's people at the temple, they would very often use these tithes and the, these offerings for selfish purposes and basically fleece the sheep, for lack of a better term, pretending to be all about the glory of God when it was, in fact, behind closed doors, all about their own glory and all about themselves. And so Jesus, I believe, is referring to these guys, but also he is referring and giving us a hint that there's, there's an ultimate thief behind these other spiritual thieves here. There's a big thief behind these little thieves. And these are thieves that disrupt God's people. Look what he says later on in verse 10a about these thieves, or thief, I should say. He says, the thief, singular, the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. Again, thief in the singular at this point. I think Jesus is again saying the devil, let's just call him, say it right very clearly, Satan is the thief. He is the big thief inspiring these other little thieves to disrupt God's people. Look elsewhere, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, this is confirmed, and it says, Be sober-minded, be watchful, keep your eyes open. Your adversary, the devil, prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone like sheep to devour. And so here's what this means. Whether you are currently aware of it or not, whether you believe it or not, the fact remains God's arch enemy, your worst enemy. So this is your worst enemy. Satan is seeking to bring you down and as many down, people down as he can. That's his mission. It's a very sad mission. And sometimes Satan, the big thief, will use little thieves, little spiritual thieves, with self-serving spiritual agendas to try to bring you down and distract you uh, as much as possible. Thank you, Internet, yet again. You've got to be careful about that internet, by the way. There's all kinds of weird stuff on there. That These are little thieves, spiritual thieves, inspired by the big thief, trying to pull us into weird directions. And it's just the strangest thing. And this is why you need Jesus, I need Jesus to be, we need him to be our door, our singular only door, our singular gateway of spiritual protection. 
who keeps us safe in God's sheepfold, God's kingdom, God's family. And I'm saying there's no one better, there's no one stronger, there's no one more capable, there's no one who loves you more than Jesus. Uh, and he is there and willing and ready to watch over your soul. You need that, I need that. We need to be kept spiritually safe from these spiritual thieves to stop the devil from messing with us. Back in December, uh, Bob Porkell's pastor brought to my attention this article from the CBC. He watches the CBC, I think, a lot more than I do, and, uh, which is not a bad thing, by the way. This is, why not use it? I mean, we pay for it. And there was a CBC news article from this last December, and the headline was, Unusual Theft in East Vancouver. Unusual Theft in East Vancouver prompts police reminder. All right? And to lock doors. That's the end of the headline. I forgot that part. To lock doors. Okay? Now, I presume, you know, I assume that you probably lock your front door on your home most days or most evenings. Okay? Uh, but in this case that we're looking at, not so much. Here's what happened to one couple last December. This couple, well, they were sleeping at night, which people tend to do. And that was when a stranger actually entered into their home in sort of a nonchalant way. Why did they walk into their own home? It's because the front door was not locked. It was left unlocked. Crazy. And the thief comes in, and he grabs all the keys which were left by the front door. He just grabs them all. All right, takes all the keys there. Sweet. Like he's thinking... It doesn't get any better than this as a thief, right? And then he proceeds to find the storage locker, which is just beside their home outside, goes to the storage locker, opens it up, and proceeds to steal and take for himself their very expensive $8,000 mountain bikes. Then he loads up those $8,000 mountain bikes into the car because the car keys were left by the front door, and then he drives off. I mean, this is a sweet deal for this thief. Didn't actually take all that much intelligence, just... This is what you do as a thief, right? Well, as it turns out, the couple were shocked and horrified. They could not believe that someone would do this. Uh, anyhow, they, they actually took some video footage. So they had the cameras, but they didn't lock the door. I don't get that disconnect. But the funny thing is, again, they're shocked. They're horrified that anyone would have the guts to do this to them and enter into their home. But are you surprised? Are you surprised? Am I surprised? I am not surprised because thieves are opportunists. Thieves are always looking on the prowl, examining where they can find unlocked doors. Well, do you think this couple now locks their front door at night? Yes, they do. In fact, you know what they're doing now? They are now literally chaining their new mountain bikes to their beds. They're chained to their own beds in their own bedroom. I mean, that's, that's, okay, that's a safe thing to do, I suppose. But here's what the man said. The man in this couple, he said, you have to just assume that somebody's going to come in. You have to assume that if you leave it unlocked, someone is going to come in in East Vancouver. Here's my, here's my point. You have to assume, you have to believe that spiritual opportunists with self-serving agendas and soul-destroying intentions, they are looking and checking for unlocked spiritual doors to your heart. That's how Satan works. He's looking for weak spots. Is your door locked or not? Is Jesus there or not? And Satan is the big thief behind the spiritual thieves, the little thieves, and he's inspiring them and conspiring with them and empowering them to bring you down. It's a real thing. 
And this is why you need Jesus. I need Jesus. We need Jesus for our spiritual protection and for our good. We need Jesus to give us ongoing, moment-by-moment, day-by-day care to stop the devil from messing with your soul, stealing your soul, destroying your soul, and doing you much harm. This is a big reason to follow Jesus. He offers this kind of protection from the worst enemy in the universe. Let's move on to number two in our notes here. Simply this, that Jesus is not just our gateway of protection, but our gateway of salvation for the sheep, which is otherwise known as the amalgamation or the, the group of all God's people, all right, God's kingdom, everyone that's in God's kingdom. He is our gateway of salvation to access God's kingdom, all right? He's our only sole access point to get connected with God in heaven, all right? Look what uh, verse 9 says here that Bruce read. Jesus speaks these words, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture, Let's again run with this analogy that Jesus gives us, where the only way you as a sheep can get into that safe sheepfold at night, the only way you can get in and be, be protected and saved is by going through the doorway, is if the shepherd allows you to go in because he's guarding that doorway. And you see what the sheepfold represents is God's family. This is the ultimate family that you can be a part of, by the way. This is heaven that we're speaking of. This is God's kingdom. It is the ultimate safe place where you are saved from thieves. You are saved from imminent spiritual death and judgment for your sins. You are given ultimate pasture and spiritual sustenance and spiritual food and spiritual nourishment. This is a great place to be. There is no better place to be than the, God, than the pasture of God. But Jesus makes it clear. You see what he's doing here? He's actually drawing a line in the sand that unless you enter into God's family through him, in fact, you can't enter God's family through faith in him, without faith in him, he is the gateway. And and without trusting in him, without getting through him or connecting with God through Jesus, you're not getting into the family of God. You're not getting in over here. This is confirmed elsewhere. Let's look at Acts chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. It says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And notice this. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other name under heaven by which you must be saved, by which I must be saved. I am saying Jesus is your one and only option to gain access to God and his family. Look what A.W. Tozer says in this point, and I quote, Jesus is not one of many ways to approach God, nor is he the, the best of several ways. He is the only way. He is the only way to get to God, have a relationship with God, and have heaven in your future versus hell in your future. Let me explain this with a, an example. Some of you likely cross-border shop like I do every now and then. Why do we cross-border shop and go to Bellingham or Blaine to buy stuff? Uh, why do we do that? Uh, well, even with the low value of the Canadian dollar, uh, in comparison to the U.S. dollar, it is actually still worth it to travel all the way to Bellingham to buy gas and dairy products 
yogurt, cheese, milk, okay, and other things and uh, in Bellingham. And so a lot of people, I, I would never say this, even though I might say it quietly to myself, but some would refer to Bellingham as a shopper's paradise. A shopper's paradise, okay? All right? Because a lot of stuff is cheaper down there. Thank you, God, for Bellingham. But the thing is, if you want to enter the USA as quickly as possible, what do you need? You need a Nexus card. Don't get that taken away from you because that's really annoying. But you need a Nexus card. And what the Nexus card does is it gives you special access and quick access to the shopper's paradise. If you have no Nexus card, too bad for you. It's going to be slow access. In fact, it might not be any access at all. No crossing of the border through the Nexus line without a Nexus card. My point is, Jesus is your access. He is your door, your singular door, your only door, your only gateway into the ultimate sheepfold, the family of God. You were meant to be with God forever. You were meant to be in a love relationship with God. You were meant for heaven. That's why you're here. That's why he made you, was to be in a relationship with God. But the thing is, there is no other name under heaven by which you can gain access to the ultimate sheepfold. No other name that you can gain access to God himself and, again, to the one who loves you more than any other. So here's what this means. This is fairly, actually quite controversial stuff, if you think about it, in our culture and day today. Christianity is exclusive. It is exclusive, which means, yes, it's true, Buddha and believing in him will not save you. Yes, it's true, Krishna will not save you. He will not get you into the, the sheepfold of God. Spiritual gurus will not save you. Being a good, moral, upstanding person, pays your taxes, has a good marriage, nice parent, works hard at work, that won't save you. That won't get you into the sheepfold either. Being all about you will not get you into the sheepfold. So yes, Christianity is exclusive. Trusting in Jesus is your only spiritual option to get to God. But the thing is, though, yes, it's exclusive, but you see this promise to get entry into God's sheepfold is inclusive to any and all who will trust in Jesus. It's there for anyone. If you turn to him with repentance of your sins, where you're sorry for your sins, you realize my sins killed Jesus on the cross. If you have faith and belief in Jesus that he earned salvation for you, he earned that way that your ability to get into God's sheepfold for you when he lived your perfect life for you in your place, died your death on the cross for your sins in your place, was judged for you, died for you, and then rose again to defeat Satan's sin and death on your behalf, and you believe that, and so you repent of your sins, you believe the gospel, what Jesus did for you, and then you're baptized, maybe on March 31st, and that's your access point. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. Here's the invitation. It's inclusive to any and all who will come to him to receive this free and full access to God. Who wouldn't want that? free and full access to the future that God has for you that is better than anything you can imagine. Free and full access to the family of God. This is just a sneak preview of what heaven is going to be like. Some of you are thinking, this is like heaven? But this is, this is great. There's the love of Christ here. We help each other. We support each other. We encourage each other. The love of Christ is, is present in this church family. This is just a sneak preview to a whole lot more love later on. That's number two. Let's move on to the final point in your notes, number three, if you're following along. 
Namely, Jesus is the gateway of connection to the abundant life. He's your access point to receiving the gift and the opportunity of living an abundant life. All right? He's our access point to salvation, but he's also our access point to the salvation lifestyle and all that comes from that. This abundant, spiritually overflowing, flourishing, joy-filled kind of life today. Not absent of hardship, by the way, but a flourishing, transformed life. That's what he offers you. Look what Jesus says in verse 10 here, 10b. I came that they may have life, and not just life, but have life, have it abundantly. Life and have it abundantly. Not this much, not this much. We are talking abundantly. Can't measure it. I used to think back in the day, you know, I grew up in the church as a kid, and that's a good thing. But sometimes kids can get confused about what church is all about. And it just seems like church and Christianity seems like it's boring. I don't get what they're singing. I don't get what that guy up there is talking about. Disconnect. And it just basically means it's an end to all fun, becoming a Christian. An end to all fun. Who wants that? I don't want that. It just, to me, it sounded like I'm sort of signing up for obligatory misery. I have to say these weird new Christian, or sing these new weird Christian songs and say these weird new Christian sayings and bless this, bless that, and I gotta, again, listen to someone who makes me feel guilty all the time. This, it just didn't sound, sound like something I wanted. But little did I know, at the age of 17, and once, once I explored Christianity more fully and exposed myself to what Jesus said about himself, like we're looking at today, it was only then that I trusted in Christ and I gave my life to him. And then I was made born again by the power of Christ. And then I tasted, you see, then I tasted that the Lord is good. I experienced his presence in a new way. And it was like, this is amazing. Not only am I now saved, I got heaven in my future by Jesus, but now here today, he's giving me, this is me at 17, he's giving me a new life where God's presence lives within me and this life called the abundant life. And it was just like seeing in a new way, seeing in high definition for the first time. It really was that. And experiencing the presence of God, nothing like I had ever experienced before. You see, I was tasting God himself. I was tasting the abundant life that is available to any and every true Christian. And it was good then, and it's good today. Here's a helpful quote from the ESV Study Bible that explains this abundant life a little better. It says, Jesus calls his followers not to a dour, lifeless, miserable existence that squashes human potential. No, no, no. But he is calling you to a rich, full, joyful life, one overflowing with meaningful activities under the personal favor and blessing of God and in continual fellowship with his people. That's why the church is here, to help each other live the, the abundant life and experience it. This sounds good, doesn't it? This sounds really good. You living a rich, full, joyful life with Jesus that is overflowing with meaning, experiencing God's favor and blessing, 
But wait a minute. Does this mean, again, Jesus, if I'm with Jesus, my life will be nothing but roses. No more hardship. Everything is going to be fantastic all the time. No more suffering. Is this what Jesus is offering me here? The answer is no, clearly no. In fact, your life might become harder, just as a nice little encouragement for you to become a Christian, but it will very often. But here's a helpful clarification from Pastor David Guzik. He explains, abundant life isn't an especially long life. Abundant life isn't an easy, comfortable life. Abundant life is a life of satisfaction and contentment in Jesus. All right, let's go back to the word picture that Jesus gives us here that we might have missed. Let's look again at verse 10b. Uh, Jesus says he came to give us life and then to have it abundantly. Now, the NIV translates that verse by replacing the word abundantly with life to the full. Abundantly, life to the full. Yes, it means the same thing, but there's a different nuance with life to the full. I think that when Jesus says life to the full, he likely has in mind fat sheep. Sounds weird, doesn't it? I have to explain myself now, don't I? I think he has in mind when he says, and he's, he's imagining you living a full, abundant life, Live a a full, abundant life just like a fat sheep. Okay. Now, sadly, sadly, tragically, being fat and overweight is seen as a big negative in our modern culture. I don't like that. Just a few hundred years ago, uh, being overweight was preferred. Okay, so you would have been on all the front of the magazines 200 years ago, if they had them, if you were overweight, because that was really something. Uh, I miss those days. Actually, I never lived then, but I wish I lived back then. But anyhow, uh, being fat gets a bad rap. I sh- even just saying being fat is almost like a swear word. Uh, it's not quite correct anymore. But anyhow, being fat gets a bad rap in today's culture. But you see, for farmers, even today, and for livestock owners, you want your animals to be as fat as possible. Very fat. The fatter, the better. You don't want any skinny sheep you don't, don't want any skinny cows, skinny nothing, because skinny doesn't pay the bills. You need fat. Fat is the, is the key. And you see, here's my point, if I've lost you with this analogy. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> the point is, it's fat sheep that I believe Jesus likely has in mind when he's thinking about you and he's thinking about me and everyone and anyone who gains access to God's family by Jesus, faith in him. He, doorway he is saying come to me and I will make you spiritually fat this is a good thing by the way fat with contentment fat with joy fat with spiritual nourishment more than you could ever consume fat with meaning fat with purpose fat with satisfaction enjoying in enjoying God you see we are talking about the person who loves you more than any other who is more capable than anyone else. We are talking about the person who desires for you to enter the sheepfold of God in order for you to experience and discover life in HD, life in high definition, life to the full, life in all its fatness. For you to experience Jesus and the kingdom, life to the full, yes, you become a Christian. But then it's partly your responsibility to choose to cooperate with God's Holy Spirit who lives within any and every true Christian. And 
it's God's part and it's your part. And the way in which you and I need to cooperate with God, the Holy Spirit, who lives within the Christian, is by seeking him in prayer and Bible intake most every day, if not every day. That's how we seek God. That's how we hear from God. Primarily is through God's word. And then, many of you are in households and families. What your job is to do in terms of living the abundant fat sheep life is to disciple one another in the ways of Jesus. Meaning you pray together as a family. You read the Bible together as a family. You seek to serve one another's needs in your family. You sacrifice for one another like Jesus sacrificed for you on the cross. He is our template. He is our example. That's what you do in your family. And then, in addition to you seeking God on your own and you seeking God in your family situation and household, then in addition to that, the abundant life includes you involving yourself in the life of your local church family. This local church, Mercy Hill, you know what we are? We are a mission outpost of the family of God sent to our city here in this corner of Surrey and Langley to help people find Jesus, to invite them into the sheepfold as well. And so part of the abundant life involves you serving your church family in some way. You commit to your church family. You don't put church on the sidelines as an optional thing once in a while, because if you do, you put church on the sidelines over here, you're missing out on a big part of the abundant life. And there are more ways that you experience the abundant life with Jesus, but these are some essential ways in order to, for you to, to cooperate with the Holy Spirit within you so that you experience more more, more of the abundant life that can be found in Christ. There's God's part, then there's your part. That's your responsibility. It's not just Jesus and you just sort of coast all the way to heaven. No, it's him and you working together, cooperating. Takes two to tango. Okay, It's oversaid, isn't it? Who tangles anymore? Anyhow, but anyhow, let me close today. I want to challenge you with a call to action as I'm landing the plane here. Here's the call to action. I want to challenge you with, you with this I want you to think about what are you going to do in response to God's word that we've heard today? What am I going to do? And the call to action is, firstly, simply to enter the gate. He is Jesus. Become a Christian. If you've not yet taken that step, today's your day. Talk to me after the service. Let's talk about baptism. Second part of the call to action is to enter the gate and rely on his daily protection. All right? In other words, are you daily asking Jesus to watch over you? Are you asking Jesus every day to protect your soul from forces that seek to, to bring you down? Again, there's no one more capable than Jesus for you to pray to in times of discouragement and suffering. And the third part of the call to action is, lastly, enter the gate and seek and receive the abundant, flourishing life that he provides. The flourishing life, the flourishing life is there for the taking. Has Jesus placed the ball now? Is the ball in your court? He's waiting. He's waiting for you to taste and see that the Lord is good. He's waiting. Ball might be in your court. Is that where you're at? You need to take more initiative to seek the Lord on your own, to pray more consistently with Jesus. Read the Bible for yourself more consistently. Do you need to seek more family discipleship and church involvement and get involved with your local church? So how are you going to better cooperate, more fully cooperate with God, the Holy Spirit, who lives within you? Let's pray together. See, they took the left door. That's good. Lord, this is a reminder that uh, I often forget 
about all the benefits and all the privileges and blessings that you offer me and you offer any true Christian who is a part of the sheepfold. Would you show us where we need to change and where we need to cooperate more fully with you? Lord, if there is anyone here who is on the fence about you, who has not yet entered the sheepfold, that they would take that next step of repentance and faith and baptism and have a conversation with me or with some, somebody today, but to realize that until they take that step, that there's no other option to gain entry into your kingdom and sheepfold. Jesus, the only way that we gain access to God's sheepfold is by your finished work on the cross. I pray that our time to remember and celebrate your cross during the Lord's Supper would be a time of memorial and celebration, a time of examining ourselves before you and confessing our sins. Through Christ we pray. Amen.